And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. This is our first live room, Jay. I'm very excited about this. I am too. A little nervous, but very excited. Oh, nervous. Nothing to be nervous about. Welcome in to hear that <laughs> podcast, Growlin. Presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. And uh, Jay and I are here working for you. This is our first live room we've ever done. Uh, one of our favorite new toys here at uh, The Athletic, where we can have a chance to talk through some stuff, do all our normal podcast stuff. And perhaps take some questions from you guys. The question to me, Jay, is what will be the tone and the cursing level of said questions? Yeah, I don't know. I I think people realize that we weren't making the calls. Um, I I, I think people are angry, but I would think, you know, what, what has it been 20 hours later or I guess 17 hours later that hopefully some of that has died down but it's understandable i mean it was frustrating it for a bengals fan it has to be it's it there's been a lot of frustrations over the years and that's that's another one of those games and i think the fact that it was the 49ers the team that has maybe given some bengal fans their their worst memories in history i think it all just added up to make for a, a really disappointing and and angry evening yeah it just uh, it feels like one that you let get away for a number of different reasons, but you know, that's, and I think that's what will be a lot of the conversation as we go forward this week and probably here today is, is going to be about, look, I mean, this team also had to do a lot of good things to even be in that situation. And I don't know that a lot of the other teams could pull that off, uh, you know, in the past around here. I, I do still stand by the difference kind of in, in who they are and not kind of being the same old team in a lot of ways, even though there were there's, you know, a number of different ways you felt like you could have won that game. Yeah, the old MO was to jump out to a lead and blow it. And this is kind of new. We've seen it in back to back home games where fall in a huge hole, fight your way back. And then you just, well, Chargers, they couldn't get all the way back. This one, they did get all the way back, took the lead. Uh, I'm sure something we'll talk about. I'm sure something a lot of people are talking about is the play calling in overtime to to, to kind of play for the field goal more than to, to go for the jugular and just win it and not give San Francisco another chance to get the ball. But it did. It, it, it doesn't feel like the the frustrating losses of Bengals pass. It, it, it does feel like this is a a new team and uh, a new coaching staff that yes, it's the third year, but this is the first year they've been winning. It, it takes a while to, to kind of 
feel this thing out and, and, and get used to playing that way, playing aggressive. Zach's always been aggressive with nothing to lose going for it on fourth downs and, and some of the decisions he made the past two years when, when they were far out of the race gets a little different, gets a little tenser when you've got everything on the line. There is no doubt. Um, all right. I want to thank everybody that has showed up here. This is awesome to see all these people here. We want to let you know how you can ask questions. Um, so all you got to do is just hit the request to speak button. If you want to ask a question and, uh, we will see you and we can let you on stage. Um, and that's going to be your big moment to, uh, let loose for everyone else. <laughs> can we keep it clean? You think we can keep it clean? I think <laughs> cleanish. You know, a day, a day later, everybody can can maybe breathe a, a little bit deeper. Um, but so yeah, that that's kind of how you're gonna ask question. We will take uh, take your questions. Um, just kind of ask it, and then we'll we'll eventually look. If you if you got a dog barking in the background, or there's all kinds of crazies, or you're like you know a, you're a garbage truck driver and trying to like. Uh, actually, you know, do your route and ask a question at the same time, I'm probably going to kick you off stage. Uh, but that's okay. We'll go to the next person. So hopefully if you have one, uh, we will take some of those questions. I, I want to get to that. I want to do one quick thing here uh, before we do. I want to give sort of um, a, re, a number one rewatch thought, kind of after having done a rewatch. And that is, I hope that you know, it's a shame that because of the loss and the frustration, you're going to have overlooking some of the stuff that happened. What we saw from Joe Burrow, I, it, when you look back at it, second and 18 from your own five, down seven with 219 left after you get sacked. And what happens next is six plays, three absolute dimes, one to each of your targets, spreading it around, including the double move to chase for the touchdown, the double move to Boyd while getting hammered down the other sideline. It was, I mean, that was a, for a guy that we've seen a lot of big moments from, from a guy that we have high expectations for, and we've talked so much about the second year bump. I thought, that could have been, that's really part of the gut punch of the loss, a truly defining moment for him, an unbelievable drive, and why you kind of believe in this team going forward, because you've got that guy able to do everything for you. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 his final two passes in regulation were his two longest gains of the game. And then he, and then he had two other ones in overtime. And you know, the thing that came to my mind immediately, I actually looked this up. I pulled up the game book from Super Bowl 23 because when oh, they started, Jay. Jay. When they, no, when they started at the 13 yard line, they had 13 points, just like the 49ers. And I thought, isn't this where Joe Montana and he didn't Joe Montana started at the eight, but then after the sack, Joe Burrow starts at the six. And yes, it's a regular season game. It's not the Super Bowl. But it was it was very similar where just drive down the field, make the big plays when you need to. The only thing there was the best they could do was tie the game, not take the lead. And they left a little more than 34 seconds on the clock. San Francisco drove down, had a shot to win it with a field goal and missed it. But it it was one of those kind of performances where you've talked about we've all talked about it, where he is at his best when the lights are the brightest and the stage is the biggest. And and we saw that yet again in this game. 
we certainly did. Uh, I've, I've got all kinds of other thoughts and I've got some stats here too, that we'll probably get to, but I want to get the questions. We're here in the live room. We've got a bunch of people that want to, uh, uh, drop their questions in. So we were, we're going to start, we're going to give this a run. Okay. And a reminder, if you have questions as well, we're going to try to get to as many as we can here is probably go till about 1230 or so. We'll, maybe we'll stay a little longer. We'll see how it goes. Um, you can just hit request to speak and we will invite you on stage. I'm going to start. And when you get up here, uh, just unmute yourself. So, all right, we're going to bring on Taylor C. Uh, let's see how this goes. I'm going to bring Taylor C up here. Uh, let's see. Try to get you to come up here. Maybe you're coming up here. Maybe not. There we go. Taylor yeah, we C, go. you are on stage. What's up? How you doing, guys? Appreciate it. Uh, really looking forward to this. I know. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Clubhouse thing. It was a big a, uh, fad a few months ago. It's kind of cool to have this opportunity to talk to you guys. Um, I kind of have a, a two-pronged question, and I'll try not to be too long-winded. Uh, for those watching the game last night on TV, um, they kept showing how San Francisco was trying to help their DBs with cover two, and what's that mean for our offense? And that's why it's you know hard to go down the seam uh, or down the sidelines with any deep shots and whatnot. But it seemed like the Bengals weren't really making the 49ers pay by attacking the middle of the field. I mean, Boyd Uzama had a couple, but nothing sustained success-wise until the fourth quarter and all of a sudden we start running a bunch of corner routes and Higgins gets one over there. Uh, Chase gets a couple big grabs. What is taking, uh, I guess like what is the explanation for the, the lack of adjustments throughout the game? We've seen it both from the offensive side. We've seen defense struggle to make adjustments in game at times. Um, is that something that you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, like coaches learning to, to, to coach with a winning team and high pressure moments? Is it attributed to that? Because a lot of people love to, I threw it back to the, under the bus after each loss, but I, I would like to believe in this team, but it's hard when you're watching and not seeing those adjustments being made um, throughout the duration of the game. Like we would like to see. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, Taylor, I appreciate it. Uh, and we'll try to dive into that real quick. You know, it, there was, there was something that you're right. The fourth quarter, you look at it, you see them just tearing them up over the middle. It was the, that that middle ball to T. Higgins. We saw it a bunch of times over the course of the game, particularly late, um, where they were able to get that. They got Chase on a slant going. I, I also think it was a little bit of a lack of opportunity earlier in the game, right? I mean, here's the thing: I, I, I broke down the first three quarters, first and ten. You know, Joe Burrow's three of five for thirty yards. And they run it 13 times for 39 yards. Joe Mixon, 10 for 19. So when you're giving up all those opportunities where you can be in run or pass on first and 10 and take advantage of those deeps, you know, you're you're trying to run against the light box in the cover two rather than trying to throw against it. Um, you take away the opportunities to hit that exact shot like you're talking about. And I think part of that goes back to opportunity. And when they did finally just kind of get more aggressive and push it a little more, you saw the opportunity. How much of that is trying to keep Burrow from taking on hits? Maybe avoid him throwing a few too many interceptions that have been issues. I'm sure that's all part of the equation, and it seems to be. Um, but it seemed to be particularly out of whack. And I think that's where you lose a lot of your opportunities to take advantage of the stuff that they did end up taking advantage of when they were just kind of in more of a throw mode later in the game. Yeah. And I, I think it was maybe somewhat of Zach being a little gun shy because Burrow has thrown a lot of interceptions. So if there's that element to it, there's the, like you said, him getting hit. And, and I think more so than anything is just them saying, Hey, 
we've got one of the best running backs in the league. If they're going to play this defense, we can attack them with the run. And as you wrote about, it just didn't, it didn't quite hit the way they had expected it to. And I, that was all part of the evolution where they did finally start trying to attack the middle of the field with the pass and had some success. You would have liked to have seen that earlier, but it, it's just, it's one of those things that, that didn't happen. They, I, I can see why you would have this faith in, in Joe Mixon because you've seen it before. And he, how many times, you know, it started with that Raiders game. How many times have they talked about eventually the dam's going to break? I think they kept thinking that if we keep hitting them with these runs, eventually it's going to break. And this time it didn't. The, the other side of this equation is it, it was a couple of weeks where they were being praised for their dedication to the run and hammering teams against light boxes. And that was the reason the offense was finding itself and turning itself around and then when it doesn't work and it goes the other way it's they blew it right i mean there's always a damn if you do damn if you don't element to play calling in retrospect but the bottom line was and i think the the issue was it took so long to realize okay they are baiting us into these light boxes and bait daring us to run Kyle Shanahan the quotes after the game talked about we were just so scared of Burrow we just anything but we weren't we just wanted to make sure we could make something happen so it wasn't going to be him and they knew that was the way to do it and and it, it proved a pretty successful strategy um, I don't know if we totally answered your question but I we we tried to all right I'm going to move on Let's uh, bring in Andrew D here to uh, ask a question as it tries to load in here for a second all right Andrew you're on stage what's going on uh, hey, Jay and Paul, really appreciate your guys' um, coverage. Uh, my question's pretty simple. I don't know if there's a way to look at this or for you guys to know, but I feel like at least two or three times a game, there's a free rusher coming right at Joe Burrow with nobody <laughs> touching him. And I'm just wondering if the Bengals allow more free rushers than anybody else, or if you watched all the NFL games, you would see that like throughout the league, or if this is just like a protection scheme issue that they just can't figure out. Uh, that's a great question. I think Joe Burrow's answer would probably be that they allow more free rushers. Than anybody else. I'm, sure, I'm sure it feels like it. You know, I, 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 that's something worth looking. It feels like you just maybe gave, uh, Jay homework and I appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure we can use true media to try to look up free runners. I mean, I mean, I think it was particularly notable last week and i thought i i sort of put it more on look you had trey hill in and the calls were not going to be always correct and you know you're supposed to go right and you move left and guys come in free and early in the year it was a really big issue and then they brought you know the early time with jackson carmen when he first started there was a bit of an issue with that too i do think that that teams scheme stuff up these coordinators are good and and some of the the way they bring different fakes and blitzes and get in and out of stuff it's confusing for everybody in the league and you do see it. Um, but you're right. I mean, it does feel like particularly right up the middle. Like, I don't know if we can even find it by position. It seems like when that you see it almost more often coming straight up the middle where they come free. I think a lot of that is just an awareness of your offensive linemen too. Sometimes you're beat. Sometimes the protection isn't put in the right place, but sometimes it's offensive lineman awareness of being able to just be a football player and help out. You know what else helps out? having a running back in there to pick up that free runner yep. because there is so many times it happens when they're in empty yep. and there, there is no last line of defense. And we saw it on one of the plays yesterday where 
you know, it looked like Quentin Spain made the right decision to, to block down on the defensive tackle and kind of double team there. And it was a delayed blitz. And the guy just comes right up with the, the spot that Quentin Spain had vacated. So it, you're right. A lot of it's scheming up, but a lot of it is they, they love being in empty so much. And that takes away that last line of defense that what we used to see with Giovanni Bernard, where he would stay back there and pick up those kind of guys and, and, just give that extra second for the for the quarterback to deliver the ball and they're 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 kind of hamstring and they love being an empty but that's that's one of the drawbacks of it yeah there's no doubt and the other i mean the other thing i mean you've seen they've scaled it back a little bit from last year and they've gone more and you've seen more of the heavy stuff and sometimes when they've been back there they've had cj and the running back back there and even though they may split out um you know they're there just in case something happens i, I think they try to have that in spots but yeah, at a certain point, when you try to offset um, the other team with with empty and Burroughs specialty and all that stuff, you, you're you're gonna expose yourself to that. You put that guy on the quarterback, and Burrow has told us many times before, like that's on that that guy's on me. It's if they bring somebody, it's on me to get the ball out fast enough. It's on it's on me to know where he's coming from and get away from him or spin out of him. He talks about that all the time when he, when he talks about, you know, how he likes to play in empty. It's the free runner is part of the game for him and uh, understand sometimes it's going to happen, but when it does come right up the middle, uh, it's a little less easy to digest. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Let's go to another one. There we go. There's Kyle. I was going to have a Jay's got stats. that I was going to pull out that I have in my back pocket for such a moment, but Kyle's on stage now. What's up, Kyle? Thanks for having this, guys. This is really cool. Unfortunately, the loss yesterday was very depressing. Um, however, I wanted to say, bring some positive, um, maybe a question here. Um, looking at the entire AFC North, the bang, the Browns did beat the Ravens yesterday, but the Ravens did not look good with the loss of Lamar. I don't know when he's going to be back. The Browns offense looks terrible. We know what the Steelers are. Do you think the Bengals still in, are in a good position to win the division? Just want to know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, that's a great question, Kyle. I, I, <laughs> I mean, are the Browns a favorite now? I mean, at this point, I, I feel like when you look at it, they've always felt like the sleeping giant. They've just been dysfunctional from the inside. It's like, how many times are we, are parents going to post frustrations at, on social media players? Like, obviously there's all kinds of garbage going on there, but are they going to be the team? that has the bye week and comes back recentered and finally puts all that talent going the right direction. You know, maybe, I mean, it kind of felt like that, that could be what we're seeing here. I, I would rather be the Browns and the Bengals than the Ravens. The Ravens have been a smoke and mirrors miracle operation for a month and a half. Now, I don't know how they're winning. I don't know how they were in yesterday's game. It's like the only way they know how to win is by some sort of miracle spot. And they almost pulled it off again. And now you're right, the Lamar injury, Marlon Humphrey out for the year. I am not buying. I don't think the Ravens win this division. I really don't. And for that reason, the Bengals are right in it. They absolutely are right in it. And I think they've played. The Chargers and the 49ers are good teams. They're playoff caliber teams. They've been right there with them. That doesn't mean enough anymore. But I think they're better than everyone else in the North. And there's no saying that this team can't beat the Browns and beat the Ravens. And if they do that and they're at nine wins with those division wins, that might be enough. Yeah. I mean, it almost feels like 
beat the Ravens, beat the Browns. It doesn't matter what you do against the Broncos and the Chiefs. If you, if they can go five and one in the division, they're, they're going to win this division. And it does feel like Cleveland is kind of jumped back to, to, to that favorite role to win this. But, you know, they, they get a, a Vegas team that was just absolutely embarrassed this past week. They get them at home on Saturday on a short week. But after that, they go to Green Bay and to Pittsburgh. Like nobody in this division has an easy road. And and it feels like it's going to be one of those situations where it's it's going to be a 500 slog to the finish for all these teams. And it's going to come down to tiebreakers and the very first tiebreaker. If it's a two person, if it's a two team tiebreaker, it's head to head. And if the Bengals can beat the Ravens, they will have the head-to-head on both them and and Pittsburgh. And then if it's multiple teams, it comes down to conference record. And that's why I said if they can beat the Ravens, beat the Browns, be 5-1 and one in the division, it's almost like nothing else matters. I mean, look, look at the Ravens. Look at the Ravens' schedule. They have to play the Packers, the Bengals, and then the Rams. This is a team that needed needed crazy miracles to get to 22 points yesterday. Otherwise, they haven't scored more than 22 since they posted 34 on that bad Vikings defense on November 7th. And now Lamar's banged. I mean, what is to tell you that the Ravens have enough firepower to keep up with McVay and Rodgers and Stafford? I mean, it, it, it becomes about that game on the 26th. You know, I, I, I think I think they can beat the Steelers, certainly. That's one win. That gets them to the nine. And if you have the tiebreak on them, forget about them. Raven's gone, right? At a certain point, you can take care of it by beating your own guys. I do think the Browns almost feel like the favorites. That, that schedule for the Browns is the easiest of all the North teams. I'm not even counting Pittsburgh anymore. I mean, I'm just not. But, I mean, the, to me, the Browns' schedule with that Vegas game, you know, it feels like it's going to come down to that week 17, doesn't it? It does, and it, and it also feels like that game is going to be ripe for a flex because this uh, is, that's that, that's what you see these flex games in week seventeen. That yep, it's yep. that win or go home, and it's usually the division that is like the AFC North is probably going to be, where it's going to be a nine ten. It's 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 going to be one of those divisions where uh, or one of those games where a division title is on the line and possibly. The, the winner wins the division. The loser doesn't make the playoffs at all. It just it feels like we're steamrolling toward that, which I think Bengal fans might enjoy, but Paul and I will not. <laughs> oh, oh. Road flex is just a, is just an absolute worst case scenario. But that's right. It just gives me all day to recover from drinking Christmas sales at Great Lakes on on that Sunday. So that's good for me. Let's uh let's try to go and see if we can't get the stage back going here again uh, and try to bring. See if we can get Michael G on stage. Michael, are you up? Yep. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's going on? What do you got? What's up? First off, I'll say um, I'm also no you grad. So listening to hear that podcast growling, that's always good to hear. It makes it that much better. So love it. Oh, you. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the oh, yeah. 50 West beer comes out uh, based off the, the Tony's hot nut comes out tomorrow. Oh. in stores. Oh, let's go. Oh, my God. I love that. Got to yes, got to do that. So thanks for the reminder. But uh, yes, so yesterday there were there were so many debilitating plays. It felt like you know Darius Phillips fumbles, but the Jesse Bates one had me on. Like that was the one that I was like, this this game put you through hell. But that that play 
seemed like it was just going to shut everything else up. So that was my comment before my first question. I just wanted to get that out there. Just get it um, off your chest. Let it out. Because that thing just felt like it just felt like we deserved that at the end, you know. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but what do you make of the two times Zach didn't go for it in the red zone? It was fourth and a long one. It felt like, you know, before the half, if we even attempt to get a touchdown there, it completely changes the game. But, you know, you get the points, you kick it back to them. The fumble with Darius Phillip happens and then we're down so much larger at halftime than if you just went for it, gave the Niners a short field. Like, how much do you think that makes up for just the failures and us having to dig out of that lead or that thing in the second half? No, that's a great tech question, Michael. I, you know, I, I made sure to include that because it was like when we started talking about you know, the end of the game, like it, we, we can sit here and analyze a second down play call or a first down play call in overtime from the 26 and under, and you can do that until you're blue in the face and it looks terrible in retrospect and it looks even more awful on the rewatch, but it's one play call. It's two play calls and, and giving the ball to a guy who's been great for you and has touchdowns in nine consecutive games and nine touchdowns in the last five. And they've done a lot of good down there running the ball. To me, it was about the bigger picture of the conservative nature. I mentioned earlier the stats about running on first down and all that stuff. But those two, we were sold something different. Like I, I was under the impression this was going to be a team that was going to be aggressive. And when we talk about believing in not taking the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands, that includes fourth and two from the tent. And, and to, to me, it includes not settling for field goals down there we see the chargers are different they're constituted differently than the Bengals. they have a terrible defense so they have to play a little bit more aggressive but you see the way they play when they came here fourth and four of course they're going for it touchdown keenan allen game changer right i i looked for more i i anticipated more of that i don't know what their strategy is you know when they get down to that area we saw it in the green bay game right we overanalyzed that as we should have the the conservative nature of the runs and everything else and settling for the long field goals and the 57 yarder and all that. I mean, I feel like this has played out and when rubber has met the road here, it has been a much more conservative team in those toss up situations than I anticipated, especially when you're supposed to believe in your quarterback. And the analytics that's, that's the, what I got kind of talked about earlier where, He's Zach has been so aggressive in those situations, but they've had a terrible record and they haven't had anything on the line. And it's like there's some tensing up going on now that he, he feels the weight of this playoff chase. And the first one yesterday, I don't have a problem with. They dodged the bullet after the first Darius Phillips fumble, hold San Francisco to a field goal, and then they drive down. And it felt like, yes, just get points there, tie the game and then kind of reset. You know, you, everything starts over. We're even. Whereas if they don't get it, it's just another chance for the momentum to swing for the 49ers. The, the one that I found more curious was the one at the end of the first half or the, the longer one. It was a fourth and two at the 10 yard line. And you're getting the ball first to start the second half. Go for the go for it there. If you don't get the field goal or if you don't get the first down, San Francisco is going to have to drive 90 yards to get points trust your defense who's been playing well and go for it there. And instead of just kicking the field goal and, and taking the easy way out, 
I, that, that's the one to me that really felt like it was kind of, kind of a white flag moment where it, it went against everything that, that Zach has established so far and being super aggressive in these fourth down situations. Yeah, I, I would, I would totally agree with you. I mean, that, that, that feel, you wonder how differently the game plays out fourth down bot, our, our favorite fourth down decision spot, decision bot had that at like a 1.9% win probability difference. So not a, not massive. Um, but that's also one of those where I think situationally, uh, you know, you play more of your gut of like, it's like, okay, trust your defense. Yeah. Trust your defense. You love your defense in the shit with Jimmy G in the shadows of his own goalposts a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That was, that's definitely the one that stands out to me. I just overall, over the course of the season, I thought we would see more aggression and more going for it in those types of situations. It hasn't been as much as, as I thought it would be. All right, let's try to keep pounding through a few more as we're going to kind of run out of time here. So uh, let's go to, uh, Kelsey and uh, Kelsey S up here. How's it going, Kelsey? I am good. How are you guys? Doing good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, so I kind of just wanted to make a comment before I, I ask this question that's kind of been swirling around on Twitter. Uh, you know, the the play calling yesterday, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and no one likes to see the Bengals, you know, run three times out of the coming out of the half and then at the at the end, you know, whatever. But uh, I. Can't help but remember, you know, not to be a Zach Taylor defender or anything, but uh, you know, earlier in the year when they had Burrow throw, I can't, was it the Green Bay game that he threw that that pick um, to one of the linemen or the linebackers? Um, yeah, at the end, that was just a head scratcher, and you didn't want that to happen again. Um, and then, you know, last year, you know, all all we would say all year was, "Why did we abandon the run? Why did we abandon the run?" You know, uh, and he's. I mean, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, so it's it's hard because you guys always say everyone hates their play caller. And I do think that every fan base hates their play caller. That said, with this year going the way it goes, if they let's say they, you know, are, are there any circumstances where you see this team um, letting go of Zach? Because I don't know that I see that at all, though some people seem to think there is a scenario where that happens. So I'd love to hear you guys thoughts on that. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for the question, Kelsey. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, let's, let's play out what that would have to be. Um, they would have to lose the rest of their games. Okay. So they would have to, you know, finish this thing seven and 10 and have a, have experienced a total meltdown down the stretch. And there would be reasons for that. I, you know, I guess possible and, and may, and maybe that would change minds. I think I don't see any way that happens. I don't, you know, Mike Brown, I think loved as everybody did what they saw at five and two and understood that this was still a young team, a team that was just starting to open its window. And maybe these are some tough lessons to be learned here at the end of this season. If, if that's, if that's the case, that's the only way I think we would ever even be having these kind this conversation. And still remember it's my, I mean, the idea of Mike turning his back on the direction of the team, when it felt like the locker room was good, the culture was good. The talent acquisition was good. The off season was good. If it falls apart and melts down, down the stretch, 
I, there would have to be a lot of other stuff that would have to go on to even bring that conversation. I, I don't see a scenario where that happens. I don't think that's realistic at all. I, you know, and, and that to me that I don't see that. Yeah, I don't either. It, it, it would have to be not just losing the rest of the games, but the proverbial losing the locker room. Like they, they would have to be blowouts. You, you, you would have evidence that the, the team was no longer in Zach's corner. I just don't see that happening. I think there's, there's enough faith and enough belief there. And, you know, most importantly from Joe Burrow, as long as Joe Burrow is in Zach's corner, I, I just can't see them moving on. This is the first full season of those two paired together. And you've seen really good progress. Maybe not as much as people had hoped when it was five and two, but you're, you're still seeing the growth. You're still seeing what everybody expected this year to be. Maybe beyond that, this was the year where where they they make the big step, and then next year was the playoff year. Uh, the fact that they're still in the race at this point in December, I think, says a lot. It would it would have to take four losses in a row in super ugly fashion. I and I just don't see that happening. I mean. Like- Let's not forget, I mean, this is as good of probably, um, you know, a fight that I've seen in a Bengals team. I mean, the the way you feel like they're always going to come back, like, just Bengals teams haven't had that in the past. I can't. I mean, outside of the 15 team that felt they felt like they had that during, I, I can't remember teams that just felt like they were always going to make the play. They always were going to come back. And his relationship with the, the relationship between quarterback and coach is great. I, I, I think they're players away still. They're an off. They still didn't address the offensive line the way they should have. And they still are paying for that. And it's another cycle. And if you go through an off season cycle where they have money and you, you hit it again and you draft, more line, a better, stronger line, and you hit you hit on those. Then you've completed it, and now you have Burrow and the weapons and the strong line, everything that you've wanted to have. I think there's, you know, it's not like this offense has been putrid this year. I mean, this is an offense that has been in top, lived in the top ten in points per drive for a while now. If you take out those first few weeks when they were feeling out what Burrow is, I mean there's a success in that a team that plays hard. He's got a good relationship with his quarterback and he's had one of the more efficient offenses in the NFL. There's a other, there's things to not like, uh, and possibly some learning that he's still doing. But, uh, I also don't, you know, I think those are really important things that Mike is going to point to and be steadfast on. You're just not going to move him off that stuff. Um, as much as maybe other teams would. All right, let's try to, let's try to get to, uh, another one. Let me just go to the top here. Uh, and, and sorry, I see all the, all the question requests. I, I appreciate it. I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. We'll get to a couple more here. Uh, Ben K what's up? Hey, how's it going gentlemen? Doing good. Um, How are you? Oh, bloody great after yesterday. What a mess. Um, so <laughs> my question, I've got two, I've got one for Jay. Uh, it's a sad thing. So, uh, that one will be how many of Joe Burrow's interceptions can you put to blame for him for throwing a bad throw? Or the receivers with a drop, so such as like uh, Jamal Chase uh, throwing it to the safety or whatever. And then uh, the other one is: is there any disgruntled feelings coming out of the Bengals locker room regarding play calling? And that's pretty much. It. Thank you. Um, I, I'd have to go back. I don't have it off the top of my head. I, I, I would say maybe two to one. 
it, it Burrow's fault as opposed to receiver's fault. I can think of a couple that were Jamar Chase's fault. Um, but, but some of them have been the, the defense just making a great play. Some of them have been poor decisions by Joe Burrow. I, I would say maybe nine to five, nine on Burrow, five on the receivers, uh, as far as that goes. And as far as the, the descent in the locker room, it's hard to tell because we can't get in there. They, yesterday they bring in other than Burrow, the three other players that we get to talk to post game. So you really don't get that sense. And there, there was some bait put out there. As far as I think, you know, Burrow was asked about it. Chase was asked about it. You know, should you have been more aggressive when you got down to the 26? And, and, and nobody really took the bait. We, Jamar Chase early in the year did question some, some play calling. Um, I think he learned his lesson from that. Um, I, I think they're willing to, to ride with Zach at this point and, and trust that, that that's his job. Their job is to play and they, they may not agree with it, but I don't think there's going to be a, a public outcry in any way from the players questioning his play calling. No. And the other thing is, I mean, you're talking about, uh, we didn't get a chance to ask Joe Mixon. I bet Joe Mixon didn't have a problem with calling two runs from the 26th. He, he probably would have been like, I thought those play calls were great, you know? And so he's like, you know, I was about to do my thing. I was going to do a whole dance. I had a whole dance. I was going to plan for that big moment. Right. Uh, and, and instead, you know, they, they get stuffed and that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Um, let's, uh, let's jump in here and try to get a couple more, squeeze a couple more in here before we end. Uh, Matthew B what's up, Matthew, you there with me? Hey fellas. Oh, wait, we got one, oh, one, we go. one hey. to, to come in, come in at the end and finish off. We've got multiple people on here now. I don't know who's actually talking. We're going to, we're going to try to wrap it up in a real smooth fashion. Like we would be want to be Mark. Are you there? Yeah. Hey, man, I'm here, guys. Thanks. All right. Go ahead. Take us hey. out strong. A lot of pressure on this. One. All right. First and foremost, man, this is going to make a lot of Bengals fans upset this on here. But, <laughs> man, Jamar Chase is a dichotomy, man. This dude is either boom or bust. He drops probably a quarter of the passes that come his way every now and then, though, about. You know, he makes a huge play for us. But at what point and will there ever be a point where we start taking Chase off the field when it comes to third down? Because if you look at some of the PFF uh, statistics on Chase, I think he leads the the NFL in uh, drop passes. He leads in um, interceptions against when he's being targeted. And, you know, what... It's just he's the most frustrating bingle I've ever watched, and I just don't know what to think about him. I want to get your guys' take on him, and uh, if you guys have time, uh, where do you think we go with the uh, draft uh, next year to address? Oh, Mark, Mark. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> How can you do that to oh, come us? Come on. <laughs> All right, Mark, thank you, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this about the idea of Jamar Chase is the most frustrating Bengals you've ever watched. You have not watched enough Bengals football then. Because, uh, I, I mean, I, I, it makes me want to kind of just go through my media guide at this point, uh, back through over the years. You talk about frustrating Bengals. I, I, look, I wrote about this last week. I do think that there is a, you know, there's a roller coaster element to Chase and how much of this is who rookies are, who he is as a rookie Jamar Chase, how much of this is who he's going to be as he goes forward. I do think rookies go through stuff, but you know, what he does bring you is electric. You, 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 but you got to deal, you're kind of dealing with the inconsistency and it's affected them as a team. There's no doubt. Um, I, that doesn't mean that he can't, he won't 
become something more consistent as he goes on in his career. Um, but I think for now you're seeing some of the rookie elements of that. Um, and you just kind of ride it because what he does bring you is electric. He does bring you, you know, the coverage shifting. He does bring you the deep balls. I mean, the, the play he made in the back of the end zone, the play he made, the trust Burrow has in him. It, you know, you take him off the field on third down and you're taking away the trust in the scramble drum. I mean, Burrow was basically halfway scrambled off to the left on that fourth and five miracle and flipped back the other way because he knew that's where Jamar was. I mean, that's where his trust level is with this guy. And, and maybe he does drop some, but to have a quarterback who feels like he can make plays like that insane throw that he made is really valuable, um, even if it does involve some drops sometime. And that's just something that they're going to have to work through. Um, I'm not talking about the draft. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, a couple of things there. They're not taking him off the field, period. He's played 97% of the snaps the last two games. They're, he's playing more than he had been earlier, more than we've seen you know, a Bengal, play, a Bengal receiver play in the past. And I, I think it's your math was a little off there that he, he's had 98 targets this year and he's had nine drops. So it's, it's not a quarter of the passes coming his way or being dropped. It's 9%. And for a rookie, that's about what you would expect. They've been big moments. You know, he had the, the one that was a, in the end zone against the Jets. He had the one, obviously, against the Chargers that turns into an interception. And I think his have been so glaring because he is such an explosive player, and there's so there's such great potential for big plays that when he does drop one, it, it feels greater, and it feels like they're mounting more. But um, I, I would say stay the course with Jamar Chase. It, it, is, it has to be frustrating as a fan to see those drops, but it, it's not something he has a history of. It's just getting used to the league, the, the speed of the, the game at this level. I, I think that guy's going to be fine. Yeah, give, give me a player that will drop a drop a pass or two, uh, but will give me that game win. You know, what could have been the game? What was the game tying touchdown at the end? There, give me that. You know, I think you'll the explosiveness and the game changing nature of that makes up for it. You know, you need more consistency in that stuff. But I'm I'm with you. I think in the long run. You just hope that's not something that's consistent over his career, and he's not, you know, Ted Ginn, right? Who, who has too many drops, has his explosive nature, but the drops are always a part of it. You know, you you hope he's Tyreek Hill, who Tyreek Hill has had drops throughout his career, and he's still super explosive and makes more plays than he doesn't. I think it's a matter of what he becomes. There is your arc that you're talking about. Uh, I want to thank everybody again for coming in to listen to this. This will be up. Um, in case you maybe came in late, you missed a bunch of it. One here that happened in the beginning. Uh, it's going to archive and be up as a regular podcast, just like any of our other podcasts are. And if you liked it, uh, let us know, please. You send me an email, or you can just drop us a line on Twitter, and we'll make sure we we keep doing them here as the season goes on. We're going to try to test these and see if you guys like it. You think it's good to do after games on Mondays? Uh, we'll keep doing them. Uh, but you know, as the stretch run goes down here, we want to make sure that we're uh, pumping up a little extra com content for you because uh these games are leaving us plenty to talk about and we can't get to it all uh, at one time so thanks everybody for listening thanks everybody uh that is a subscriber we love having you on board uh and if you're not you can just uh go over to the site and subscribe now and then you can come on and and ask us some questions not about the draft next week so i appreciate that uh all right thanks everybody for uh coming to our live room hope you guys had a great time and uh we'll talk to you of our regular podcast back uh tomorrow have a good one everybody
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.